Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Darren Lewis of the Daily Mirror and Dave Kidd of The Sun. They're too young to remember 1984. Honest. So, here's a quick history lesson. European Cup final, Rome. Roma won, Liverpool won. A penalty shootout. Bruce Grobelaar's legs go all trembly. Francesco Graziani puts his penalty into orbit. Liverpool have their fourth title. Now, can they win it for the sixth time in Kiev next month? I think they've got a great chance, Mike. I think there is a real momentum building within the club. They've lost only once since January. People talk about their defensive frailties. They've kept clean sheets in nine of the last 15 games. They've got now the player of the year, PFA player of the year in Mo Salah, who is just breaking all sorts of records. What's not to like about a side that lots of people derided early in the season and now we're going to end up praising to the skies if they follow it through. Mm. What do they need to take to Rome uh, Dave, you know, we talk a lot about you know, the famous Anfield nights. Now, like most cliches, there's a bit of truth to that. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 do tend to, they do tend to perform on those European nights um, over the last few years. That Europa run they had to the final, there were some great nights there at Anfield. Um, same this time around with the Manchester City games, specifically uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not just a myth, I think. They, do re they really do seem, it does really seem to lift in the atmosphere there. Um, I think any victory, any victory at Anfield, even if it's a 2-1 and a 3-2 with away goals for Roma, I'd still fancy Liverpool to see the job through with the draw in Rome. I think Roma are a very strong team, a very dangerous team, slightly underrated, but they, but they are the they are the team that Liverpool would have picked out of those out of those um, three possible opponents. I think I, I would have just about fancied Real or Bayern over two legs to defeat Liverpool, but I'd, my money would be on Liverpool for the semi-final. My worry is that. We may all, uh, including my, myself, underestimate Roma. Um, I certainly did early in the season when they played Chelsea yeah. in the Champions League. Because mm. they topped that group, Chelsea and that very good against Chelsea. Terrific group, yeah. exactly. In that game uh, away, I expected <clears throat> Chelsea to go down win. Chelsea got thumped 3-0. Uh, in the home game against Chelsea, Chelsea went 2-0 up. And we thought it was going to be yeah. how many, and they came back then. So it wasn't just about the comeback against Barcelona. This is a side, not only have they got the quality in Dzeko, they've got world-class goalkeeper, Alisson, um, and they've got quality sprinkled all around the team, but they've got that will to win, the character that actually sees you through the yeah. European and experience that midfield, Streetman, uh, De Rossi, uh, Nangalan, the, the three of those are all yeah. Yeah. really experienced campaigners. It was a good, it's a good solid and, midfield. And, and Dzeko as well, if you look Dzeko at him. Dzeko is you know, an outstanding player. actually have been yeah. Playing for Chelsea, couldn't yeah, he? Yeah, he could have done, and it would have been it'd been a great signing for them. I know Giroud's done okay for them, but Jekyll was the one they really wanted, um, and it was quite heart heartening that they they did stay because the, I'm sure there'd be more money for him at, at Chelsea. But Roma have ambition, yeah. and they have experience, they have quality. It's not going to be easy, but I do think that they'd rather have Roma than Bayern or Real, mm. and, and you know I think Liverpool should so have where, enough. Where 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 are the the weaknesses? Do you think, Darren, within Liverpool? You know. Is it, you know, you mentioned them, the Roma midfield, Dave. Have they got enough about them in midfield to actually counter that? Possibly not. I think if there is going to be an area where they're, they're overrun. You see, there is a lot of energy about Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. We were talking before we came on about the fact that lots of people have underestimated him in a big way when he was at Arsenal and possibly through all this loving with Arsene Wenger, the, 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 the progress that Oxlade-Chamberlain has made at Liverpool is an indictment of his time under Arsene Wenger uh, because he's really come on a bundle. But can I just mention the, ex the, soup, the, the experience and the legs and the know-how of, of, of the players in, in the Roma midfield? You've obviously got guys like Sharabi as well, scored twice against Chelsea. He, he knows how to get forward and cause problems at the other end of the pitch. But De Rossi, who's an experienced campaigner, mm. um, so Perotta, Perotti as well. I mean, 
I just wonder if they might have too much in that area of the field for Liverpool. As I said before, defensively, they're actually better than a lot of people give them credit for. Karius has improved as the season's gone on. Mm. Uh, I remember people having a go at De Gea when he first went to Manchester United. Now they're calling him world-class. I mm. think we'll probably... I don't think he would get to De Gea's level, but I think he'll certainly improve for his time in the, in the Premier League already. And obviously we know what they've got up front. So mm. if there is an area, I think it might well be midfield. Mm. James Milner, a really important yeah, player. Yeah, he was outstanding against Man City in that first leg, wasn't he? I, th I thought the, the, the English trio in midfield were brilliant that night. Um, Milner, the way he closed, um, he, he, I can't remember who, who he closed down, but he won the ball back for Oxlade-Chamberlain's excellent second goal. Um, I thought, you know, we do actually say, and I know Milner's retired from international football, we do talk about England really lacking, England's national team really lacking in central midfield quality. But then you look at those three um, in that game in particular um, and, and you think, well, actually, you know, I mean, the Ox has improved massively at Liverpool and it is an indictment of, of Wenger. Players haven't improved at Arsenal in recent years. They are improving under Klopp in the way that they've improved under Guardiola. So individual players are improving. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain, you know, He's always had goals in him, but we've not. But his goals tally has always been poor. You know, he's always been able to score spectacular goals, occasional goals, and big occasions, but not done it consistently. That's the next phase for him is to be a consistent goal scorer. And that's what Klopp was saying after the first leg at Anfield against Man City. You know, he was actually quite almost quite critical of saying, you know, why doesn't he do it more often? Because he's got it in him, mm. and that's that's what Klopp does. He pushes players in a way that Wenger in, in recent years, for instance, hasn't done. But we you know. We have to talk about that fab three up front, don't we? You know, they've scored more goals combined than 14 Premier League clubs. <laughs> they've scored nine out of their ten goals. Yeah. In, in and they were, they were a fab four, and, and the, the most valuable of that fab four was sold in mid-season. Yeah. And that's how good the other three have been. You know. yeah. In a weird way, I think, the departure of Coutinho has actually helped the team. He yeah. didn't want to play for them. He wasn't committed. Klopp himself has said, what good would a player who wanted to protect himself didn't want to get injured be to us in the second half of the season? To get £142 million from his, his terrific business. But you look at the way they play now, the the way they interchange, the way they, the, how selfless they are. I mean, you mentioned the three of them scored more than half the team. Salah scored more than Newcastle, I think. <laughs> I think mm. he's the guy is just a tour de force. And I don't think it's a freak season. He scored 19 goals for Roma last season. But now he's playing, and, and when he won the award, it was really key that he kept paying tribute to the team. It wasn't all about him. He, he kept talking about the team helping him to do what he has done. Um, and I think he is going to go from strength to strength because he is surrounded by people who get the best out of his game. Um, and to, to, to blitz City the way that they did that tells you all you need to know about the, 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 the goal-scoring power in that front three, and that's a big reason why I think they might edge it. Mm, it's interesting, you know, reading the Italian press, that you know, some of the Roma players are basically promising to beat up Salah, you know, their former <laughs> yeah. teammate. Um, <clears throat> now, you can't question his character. You know, he's a guy who scored a last-kick penalty to get his country into the World Cup yeah. finals. Um, how do you think he'll approach it? Salah? Yeah. I think uh, I think I think they, as a team, and Salah personally, will will try and do what to Roma as what they did in Man City. And I think in some ways, you know, we always talk, you know, traditionally about being away second leg being an advantage. I think Liverpool see being at home first leg as an advantage, and just if they can blitz a team like they did Man City, and if they can do it to Man City, they're capable of doing it to Roma. I think it will be, you know, going for the jugular. And he is a player who has that directness and can cut inside, and that's what he's all about. Uh, I think I think there'll be I think there'll be the same sort of positivity and energy about the place, and there'll be, you know, Liverpool will be going out there thinking we want to be two goals up by half time at least, and, and you know, grab this title. Don't you think you know that the, 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 because of the way that they've come back against Barcelona, even a two goal. Three goal advantage. You know, you can't. Yeah, you still can't be yeah. confident because yeah. we talk about big European mm. nights at Anfield. Obviously, they've got big European nights over there as well that they've had. And so, from that point of view, that you can't, there can't be a complacency, even if no. they were to build up a decent. I mean, obviously, they, they smashed them up in the first leg. Then mm. you know, four five nil. Maybe you can start to get confident. But you know, the Barcelona game shows that they are a side packed with character that will respond even if we get what we believe to be a healthy mm. sort of two or three goal lead. But that's, one, that's one time Salah was really quiet recently. It was at Man United when United beat them a, couple, a month or two ago. Mm. I, I was at that game and, and uh, you know, he, got, he was getting a lot of fanfare before the match. I, I myself was right and comparing him to Messi. He hardly had a kick. <laughs> <laughs> that day, you know? Win some, lose some. <laughs> well, 
what, yeah. well, he's got about another 15 goals in the last six games since or something. But, but yeah, I mean, United did keep him very quiet. You know, it can, it can be done. He was very, very quiet yeah. that day. But isn't that the joy of the Champions League that the teams now at this stage are of such a high quality yeah. that if you drop 1%, you are in deep trouble? Absolutely, absolutely. And it may well be that on that famous night where Roma pulled off probably won the results of any season against Barcelona, it may well be that they did drop below their minimum standard, that they were possibly complacent, believing they'd done the job uh, already. Um, and, and, you know, you've got to talk about the elements within that side because, you know, Messi, Suarez, you know, I, I, I think the quality they had in that team for Roma to approach it the manner that they did uh, will be a warning, if you like, to Liverpool. And, you know, Mike, I reckon, I know Klopp wasn't, hang, wasn't <clears> particularly <throat> happy at the weekend about the West Brom result. I think that might be a blessing in disguise because, you know, it will remind Liverpool that you've got to be on it, you've got to be on point, you've got to approach this in the right way, let your guard down, you'll get hurt and you'll miss out on possibly the best opportunity, well, not possibly, it is the best mm. opportunity that they've had to win the Champions League, uh, a sixth uh, uh, European Cup for years. And, and for many of these players, you know, will it come again? You know, because obviously he will perform surgery on that team and move some out and get more quality. And Naby Keita, of course, mm. coming in the summer, so this is a golden opportunity that they've got to take. Mm. If you look at the competition as it is now, it's now without Manchester City, double winners in England. Mm. It's now without Barcelona, just about to become double winners in Spain. You've got Bayern, another double winner, playing Real Madrid in the other game on Wednesday. What do you make of Bayern? Yeah, I mean, Bayern are always there and they're always dominating in Germany, apart from actually Klopp's time with, with Dortmund. You know, they, they, they stroll the league, you know, these days. Um, they're, they're, they're a very powerful unit. Um, Heinkers is, is um, you know, he, he won the European Cup last time he was there. Um, he's got a great chance of winning it again now. Um, you, you occasionally wonder with Bayern whether they're, they're, they're pressed enough and they could be undercooked going into Europe, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So they've, they've been, you know, played well in Europe this season. Um, in Lewandowski, they've got probably still best sort of out and out target man in world football, really. Um, so you know, they're they're, they're always going to be tough opponents. Um, and Real have not been Real this season. Mm. Um, Lewandowski is really interesting, isn't he? Because yeah. <clears throat> he's got himself a new agent. Yeah, Pini Sahavi. Um, surprise, surprise, is now being linked. Yeah, Real Madrid. and he was very strongly linked with Real Madrid two or three years ago, and he definitely <clears> is his ambition to play there. Um, knew somebody who was, who was linked, who was close to him in, in in that era, and they were definitely trying to get that deal done. It never happened at the time. He's now touching thirty. I think he's thirty this summer, Lewandowski. So certainly <clears> his last chance, if he's not too late, to, to make that move. And whether you know, you wonder whether Real Madrid looking for they clearly are looking for a number nine. Whether they might be looking for Kane being that much younger than Lewandowski would be the, would be the next one off the rank, I think. So um, it's interesting that they, they're trying to get that done. They might have impact on, on Spurs mm. as well, actually. Yeah, we'll talk about Spurs later, but actually on Kane, you know, he doesn't look fit at the moment, which again, you know, we, we, can, we can maybe ruminate on later. But would he be the sort of player that would fit into a Galactico lifestyle? That's a really interesting and fair question because uh, he's made it clear that as long as Spurs win things, he's prepared to stay where he is. He's from North London, not far from where I live, actually. Although I would imagine his house is a bit better than mine. (laughs) 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 Extra media, you do. But I think um, as far as uh, he is concerned, as a player, is that a club that are going to move into a new stadium? They've got Champions League football. They're, they're meeting the requirements. Obviously, Bayern Munich coming in for you, the big clubs. When they come, it's easy to say you're not going to go until they come. And then when they come, it's a big decision for you to make. Could he fit into that kind of lifestyle? I don't see him as somebody who would let things get to him. Um, he's been presenting celebrity awards or whatever else goes back, does his day job very well indeed, and on course for a third golden boot. Of course, Mo Salah ahead of him. Mm. I just think, in the short term, the key man for Bayern is Henkes because before his arrival Carlo Ancelotti lost his job Bayern all over the place I think they won 7 out of 11 games uh, Willie Sanyol took over for a short period since Henkes has come back to the club and Kiddo talked about the fact that he'd won the Champions League before they've lost 1 out of 31 games 
the run they've been on has been absolutely sensational. I think they've only drawn two or three of them. Um, and, and the players are, are responding to him again. He's a guy who knows how to get his tactics right. He knows how to get the best out of the players. And I think that if there is somebody who is the key man in the game, obviously we know about all the individual elements, and Kido rightly mentions Lewandowski and his goal-scoring potential, but he is a man who knows how to get this Bayern team and, and the club over the line. And I think he could well be the reason, if they are to win it again, the, he could be the reason why. Mm, it's an interesting... You know, we're at the stage now where belief is absolutely total, has to be total. Mm. I read some stuff from uh, Thomas Muller yesterday where he was talking about... There's something in the air here. Mm. We've got something. Yeah. So when you've got that sort of intangible uh, mm. dimension to your play, it can be really dangerous, can't yeah, it? Yeah, and Muller knows all about it. He's won everything pretty much in the game. And, you know, if, if he's feeling that way, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think Bayern, I would say if, if you had to call a favourite to win it, I would say Bayern. That's interesting. Don't you think that they're helped by the fact that there's all this fanfare around Liverpool and Salah yeah. and you know and Real Madrid and Ronaldo, you yeah. know, and they're literally just creeping, creeping, and obviously Real were really poor in that second leg against Juve and very lucky to get away with it, weren't they? I think, mm. and um, and they've not you know been playing well domestically this year. We saw Spurs, you know, beat them over to mm. you know if that had been a knockout tie, Spurs would have yeah. won it on aggregate. Comfortably, you know, beat them well at Wembley and got a good draw in the Bernabeu, didn't they, Spurs? So um, they've been pretty unremarkable this year. But then again, when you've won it twice in a row, you've got the players who can do it and know how to yeah. go. Paul Clement well. told me a really interesting story about when they won it in the 93rd minute. He went into the dressing room afterwards and the cup's there and the players are posing for selfies with the, with the trophy. But while they were doing so, he, he heard off the sort of off to left field some players were getting together and they were saying, we've got to win it next year. We've got to win it next year. Yeah. Which is extraordinary when you think about it, that you know, they're literally minutes away from actually yeah. the great achievement of their mm. season yeah. and they want to do it again. That tells you everything, doesn't it's it? It's a Roy Keane mentality, isn't it? You, know, you've, you savour it for a few minutes and then you're kind of looking ahead to what's next. And the interesting thing about Real Madrid is that they're so far off the pace in, in, in the domestic league. 15 points 15, behind. Absolutely, mm. 15 points behind. And yet they come alive in the second half of the season when the Champions League gets into the business end of the campaign. What's quite interesting is that if you look in, I was looking at the top 15 goal scorers in La Liga. Um, Ronaldo has got 24 goals. There's no one else in the top 14. You have to get to 15th before you get to Gareth Bale with 11. Benzema, where is he? Mm. I think he's scored a handful of goals all season and that presumably is the reason why they're looking at players like yeah. Kane again. Um, and so he's going to be in demand in the summer. Um, but I think as far to get to where they've got without um, a goal-scoring contribution of note from uh, Benzema is quite significant. And they just, over the course and the distance, they know how to do it, you know, because um, they've been through the tough moments. And even though they weren't convincing against Juve, now that they've got a chance to close in, on a third successive Champions League, it would be a fourth in five years. I think that they're, they're quite keen to take it too. Mm. We talk about winning mentality here, aren't we? You can't get too many greater examples of that than Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final on Saturday. Do we owe Jose an apology? I don't know about that. I think he's, <laughs> he's perfectly. Uh, I, mean, I, mean, he's, I think he's doing it. Plenty of plaudits, even if they're slightly backhanded compliments. And we, we know we, he's not. Um, I was talking to a United supporter last night, and he, you know he's saying, "I can't, you know, I can't pretend that I'm enjoying the style of football, but it is amazing how." You know, he, he does win big games still. Um, and, you know, that's what Spurs haven't got, is, is winning those big one-off games. They, they haven't got that mentality. Mourinho's team has got it. Um, I, I still think that in some times they, they, they look like, a you know, it's too much about individuals than, than, a, than a unit in the way Spurs are. You know, Spurs are a great team. They're well built. I don't think he's got that at United. And, and I think... You know, the concerns of the Pogba are genuine. Whatever Pogba might have said at the weekend, sort of saying there's no problem with Mourinho, it did sound a bit half-hearted, all that. We know that there are problems. Um, there are two big egos that are clashing. There's a lot There's a lot that's wrong there, but they are going to finish second. They, they could well win the FA Cup. They'll be favourites to win the FA Cup. They've, they've, you know, they've beaten Tottenham in a game that really matters again. Um, you know, that, that, there's, there's too many good players there for it to, to, to fall apart. Yeah. See, uh, uh, sorry, Darren. Are there 
parallels here with the Fergie Beckham situation. Well, you know, this town ain't big enough for the both of us, you know. Uh, possibly, possibly. You're talking about two superstars, two players who have got huge celebrity lifestyles away from the club, uh, two players that the manager would f prefer to buckle down and, and, and also would want to show, regardless of what goes on outside, inside the dressing room, I'm the boss and I, you know, you mm. do what I do and you fit into the... Because that's the I problem, play. they're brands in football boots, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, that's a really good w way of summing them up because... Um, the reason why Pogba does what he does. And, you know, just as a side issue, it, it's quite funny to watch, you know, effectively middle-aged men kind of getting up uptight about a young man colouring his hair or playing a bit of basketball or doing what young men do. You know, he goes, get cut your hair, why? You know, what, what difference does that make to his football? It, it's a nonsense to deride Pogba for what he does, whether it's a tattoo, whether it's, you know, going to a disco, whether it's colouring his hair. It's about what he does on the football pitch, and Mourinho's job is to get the best out of and him. All, all, all this, um, all this social media stuff and the branding thing. You, you know, you Manchester United as a club do more of that than anyone. Absolutely. And, you know, they're, they're, they're managing, uh, the commercial guy Richard Arnold is obsessed with it, and, and it's what measures United's success on the amount of Facebook friends they've got or whatever. Yeah, it's well, if you look at their in, uh, <laughs> annual accounts, what they talk about is social media <laughs> penetration. Yeah, that's right. And when, Pog, it was when Pogba came back. It was Pog back. Hashtag Pogba, all that kind of thing. You, you know, it's not a case of Pogba being uh, this renegade who's more interested in, in his own profile. It's, this is Manchester United encouraged all, all this. You know, that's what, that's what they're, they're about. They're more about that than they are about winning trophies. Is spot on. And I think just to get back to your original question about do we owe Mourinho apology, Mourinho was, Mourinho's ability to win trophies was never questioned. What was questioned was the fact that he spent a huge amount of money and the football at a club who pride themselves on an attacking, uh, entertaining style of play, was poor. It was mm. poor to watch, to being put in the shade by Manchester City. I think that was a valid criticism. I think it's still a valid criticism. And I don't think winning the FA Cup kind of takes away from the many people who have pointed out, because it, it's not been a vindictive criticism. It's been a, a criticism shared by many people who's matched experience, whether it's going to a game, whether it's watching on TV, hasn't been the same as it has been in under their previous Sir Alex Ferguson's yeah. regime, I should say, rather than David Moyes or Louis van Harlan. I think that there is that. I think there's been the treatment of players. You know, not a lot of people have been particularly happy about Luke, the way Luke Shaw's been mm. treated. There's been the superstar players that have that they've signed. Martial, who can't get a game, looks as though he's going to leave this season. Rashford, one of the best young talents in England, not playing regular first-team football from the start. He will tell you he's made lots of appearances, but he's not starting enough games. And Kido rightly pointed out, for all the attacking talents that they have, they are not scoring enough goals. So I don't think it's a necessarily a question of uh, do we owe Mourinho apology because he's got to the FA Cup final. We haven't won it yet. <laughs> um, it's, it's about the fact that I think the criticisms of United season, I think, are still valid for all the points they've accrued and even despite the fact that they've got into the FA Cup final. Last year under Van Gaal, they won the FA Cup and finished about 15 points off, off first place. And that's probably what they'll do this yeah, year. Yeah, as well. a couple of years, yeah. You know, there's going to be an awful lot of hype in the build-up to the FA Cup final. It's going to be billed as, well, it's already been billed as Mourinho against Conte. Mm. So he might as well start, start it here. Uh, is all the personal stuff relevant to a football match? Do you know what? I, I don't think it will be because they there was so much antipathy between them not long before their last league meeting. But I know that there was this reproachment in the dressing room between them before mm. I heard a bit about what happened behind the scenes and they were brought together and they'd actually spoke together and were quite respectful. And actually they, they, they piped down just before that game and, our, and since that game, I think that, that thing that blew up between them when they were trading insults on a you know, daily basis seems to have died down. I don't, they don't like each other. Conti was, you know, Mourinho always got under Conti's skin um, and he's always 
it was interesting because Chelsea took the initiative there, didn't they? Yeah, Chelsea took the initiative. Yeah, 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 and sort of got a rapprochement between the two of them. Um, and you know, I, I, so I don't think we'll have too many fireworks between the two managers. Actually, it's a shame because we, we, all, we all have that sort of thing, you know, as to the gaiety of a nation, doesn't it? Um, I don't think it'll be a great final. I, I actually, as a complete neutral, was hoping it might be Chelsea Spurs because Chelsea Spurs is always a great game to watch as a, as a neutral. Mm. Chelsea Man United, I think, could be a slightly cagey one. I'm afraid. I it is interesting because the FA Cup to Pochettino would be the start of a new era. If you like uh, it, the FA Cup to uh, Conti, it's the end of an era, yeah. uh, and I think as far as Conti is concerned, it would be a parting gift, if you like. Mm. Um, but I do agree there is a fascination with the fact that we'd have loved to have seen the fireworks between Conti and Mourinho. But then, on a flip side, half of our own industry will be saying, "No, oh, it's terrible. You've got two managers who are having go at each other." So uh, there are those two that two sort of sides to the same coin but I remember I, and it's worth pointing out just how bad it was because I, I remember being at Norwich um, after the FA Cup tie mm. and I remember looking around and we were all open mouthed at the ferocity with which Conti went for Mourinho and mm. talked about him being fake and talked about him wearing the Ranieri t-shirt the Ranieri tracksuit top with his initials on after deriding his inability to speak English having spent so long in the English game it wasn't wrong Conte as you, as you could tell from the way Mourinho started heaping praise on Wenger after Wenger's <laughs> retirement as if like, there's always been great respect you wouldn't understand that you're not inside football we have great respect for each other despite the fact he's made some dreadful I mean, truly dreadful personal comments about Wenger as well as the specialist in failure and the professional stuff you know it's been, it's been <laughs> the two-facedness of Mourinho you know? No boundary. And I think that that that's, would have been one of the things that, you know, Conte will have known. Yeah. Really great on Mourinho, him going really for the heart of, of uh, the, whole, the whole sort of antipathy between the two. So let's not kid ourselves that because there's been a sort of um, detente, if you like, that they, they like each other. I think, they don't the like each other, but Chelsea, I think they'll rein it in. Though. Yes, I, I think Chelsea, I remember afterwards, you, you know how it works, mm. Like after the main press conference where um, Conti was dropping bombs, we all went outside to do a separate daily press conference. And um, the Chelsea press officer, uh, Steve Atkins, basically said, we will not speak again about Mourinho. We don't want anything else about Mourinho. And he, and he wouldn't allow anyone to kind of continue. And I think it was at that point that they may well have decided, you know, enough. Mm. And then after that, he never, you know, it was all started to cool down. I think Chelsea, you're right. They took the initiative to realise this is escalating here. And more, more importantly than any of this is that, you know, United signed Matic from Chelsea and that's improved United and, and weakened Chelsea. And, um, and I think I wouldn't bet against Matic being man of the match in the United win at Wembley. That could actually vindicate if you like, Conti, in a way. You know, yeah, because, because he was complaining about the, the transfer business. And it's not been in the last few months. When we were in pre-season, we were sitting in a hotel with Conti and he was telling us then, you know, I'm worried about this season. Mm. He said, I don't want to have a Mourinho season. Mm. And look, it could end with Mourinho ending his season. Mm. Um, and, and There'll so, be a bit of symmetry about that, wouldn't 100%, there? 100%. And I think as far as Matic is concerned, it's such a good call because... If Matic was still at Chelsea, they might still have had a chance of being better than they were, but he couldn't guarantee him regular first-team football no, he because... he was playing all the time last season, but he's still... Yeah, yeah. but I mean, he wasn't playing... Fabregas was playing alongside Kante a lot last mm. season, wasn't he? But, but that's, the, that's the reason why he left, because yeah, he, had, yeah, you know, yeah, he hadn't sure. brought him in because yeah. he was paving the way to bring Bakayoko in. Bakayoko's been awful. Kante didn't want to sell him, that's for sure. No, no. Conte sold him and brought the, the, the club, Conti didn't bring him in, the club brought Bakayoko in, believing him to be the superior player, and Bakayoko's been poor. Yeah, disastrous, really, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, I, I, listen, I think Conti will leave, and I think um, he will be better off somewhere else where he can fit into the, 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 the way a different club does it, but Chelsea see themselves to have a model that they think works for them. If they lose the FA Cup final, I think a lot of questions will be asked about that model because it's not sustainable when you consider how many clubs have overtaken them. Mm. I just want very briefly to look at um, what's a sensitive issue, ticket pricing for the final. £145, £115, both those tickets up £30. Then it's £80, which is up, I think, £15. Mm. Are the FA failing in their duty of care to the fan 
by sanctioning that sort of rise. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan, as on a slightly different tangent, I'm not a fan of having semi-finals at Wembley, but that's all financial. I'm not, I'm not a fan, you know, I'd like to go back to neutral grounds and we saw a lot of empty seats at Chelsea Southampton. I don't know the exact pricing of the semi-finals, but they're, they're not cheap. Mm. Um, and and I, I agree that's, that, that is, you know, everyone's going to want to go to an FA Cup final. They know they've got a captive audience. They know that that's going to sell out, particularly the way they, they distribute tickets as well in terms of a lot of them going to... I think the lowest lasers. price ticket's £46, I think. Yeah, sure. It's, it's poor, but the fact is, it's not just the FA, it's, it's clubs, it's the Premier League. You know, the, the you know, the... The paying punter, of the guy who actually goes and watches the game, you know, is is is, is the lowest uh, of priorities, and then we see that in, in you know in in, in the, the late changes, you know, of games for, for television and many other aspects. Um, you know, the, the fact that the, the very the very cogent arguments that have been made for safe standing are completely dismissed by government. Mm. You know, and 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 even things like the VAR. The way that when you actually in people who actually go and watch football and pay to watch football do not want VAR more than any, more you know it's, it's all it, that's entirely done for a TV audience and it's entirely done with no with no care or thought whatsoever for the paying punter. So this these the pricing of, of, of the FA Cup final tickets is not a surprise because it's part of a trend um, whereby the guy who actually pays the guy or the woman or and the family who go, go and watch their team are given less and less consideration, I'm afraid. Mm. You know, it's interesting that this debate about ticket prices almost dovetails into the Arsenal argument mm. because Arsenal fans have found, and Arsene Wenger has been in the papers and at press conference talking about the fact that the fans turned their backs on me, the fans hounded me out, the fans did for me. What the fans realised was that they had no other way of making their point but to stop going to games. What did that do that affected the image? And Wenger said it himself, you're looking around the world at Arsenal as a club and you're seeing empty seats in the Emirates Stadium. That had a negative impact. Mm. Um, A a couple of good examples on this. The away end in the Chelsea-Southampton game yesterday, at the away end, the Southampton end, Mm. um, empty, what, fully 25, half empty, by 20, 25 minutes before the end. Ipswich, where the crowds were down to... 13,000 uh, before Mick McCarthy revealed he was going to go this weekend. First game since his announcement at 20,000. You know, fans are realizing the only way to make their point if they can't influence the decision making of authority or of club owners is to stay away because they know that's the only way to make their point. And I think so it far, has made a difference at Arsenal as well. I think it really could have been the straw that broke the camel's back with, with Wenger, actually, that it was the mm. empty seats for that amount of games with so many empty seats. Yeah, you were, you were at, at the press conference yesterday. Mm. Um, give me a sense of the mood there. there was, I thought uh, Paul Hayward from The Telegraph came out with a great line where he talked about this being Arsene Wenger's Captain Oates moment. I'm just going outside for a yeah. moment. Might be some time. Taking one for the team, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was the mood like? It was a strange. Uh, it was a, it, it was a stra- strange atmosphere at the match. Um, I think most of us went there expecting there to be an outpouring of of um, emotion and support from the Arsenal fans towards Wenger. Now he's gone because I think everyone, I'm sure they do, appreciate what what he achieved, even if it was back in the mists of time. But um, there was not very little of that. There was very little. It was the atmosphere at the match, apart from the fact that it was more or less. It was much fuller than it had been. There were more people there than there would have been. But the actual atmosphere, it just felt like a nothing end-of-season game for Arsenal. It was important for West Ham, but it didn't feel like a, 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 you know, there was a special sense of occasion. Wenger, weirdly, well, not particularly weirdly, but Wenger had decided, um, because Wenger doesn't want to go, we know that, what, what the semantics are about whether, how much he was, how much he was, how much he jumped and how much he was pushed. Um, he, he didn't want to go and that became obvious but he was quite adamant he didn't want to answer any questions about why he went or how the decision was made but then he did actually you know in, in the written press conference he did begin to sort of slightly you know, buckle uh, under pre- and, and did sort of start to actually tell us some quite interesting stuff and the idea that he, he clearly wants to continue managing but he's doesn't think he'd be able emotionally to deal with managing against Arsenal because there is an intri- intriguing 
possibility of Everton, which is, you know, is a, mm. with, with money, he has connections to them. Everton is the one that, and he's probably as good, the, the best Premier League job he, he, mm. he could get this mm. summer would be Everton. That is the one. I mean, just wonder if Everton pushed the boat out money-wise, whether he might be tempted. But he reckoned no. It was funny. But also uh, the main, the main thing, the main thing, just one final oh, thing sure. was that he. You could tell the hurt of the man, and on a personal level, despite the fact I think he should have gone two or three years ago, he's a, uh, I think we've all bloke. got pretty warm feelings exactly. from everyone who's met him. Yeah. You can't dislike Wenger. It's very difficult to dislike Wenger. Um, but he was hurt and felt betrayed, and that was... And, and, he, and he, you know, he talks about the fans, um, the lack of unity, ruining the image of the club, and it was clear that that had hurt him. He started to try and rein back almost a little bit, and, but it was clear that, that, that it really has wounded him. I, I, I was going to make a different point, but I do just want to agree with what you're saying about, um, regardless of what you might think about when he should have gone, it has hurt. I remember the Manchester City game, and City were ripping Arsenal apart. The stadium was half empty. Arsene Wenger's in the dugout, helpless. Knowing that there's a real sense out, of embarrassment that night, wasn't absolutely, there? Absolutely, because he was well aware that had he gone to the edge of his technical area, he'd have been a lightning rod for you know they'd have all got stuck into him. The home fans, the away fans, are taking a mick out of him. This is a great man of great dignity, distinction, done massive, magnificent things for the club. But it was sad to see that happen. It was sad to see him in that predicament, and it was even more sad that he didn't want to let go of it, despite all of that, and that the decision was taken out of his hands. And Ivan Gazidi's been talking about a bold appointment, a way forward, all this speculation about uh, who's going to take over. I can, think can they we know. At, can we look at the runners and riders here? Because I've got a hunch they might do a, a Wenger too, i.e. go for someone young, maybe a bit left field. Uh, Nagelsmann is, is the obvious one. And, you know, someone told me that, that Josh Kroenke really wanted to get a young coach in. Look, there's two points on that. If you look around European football, with the exception of Allegri's 50, Klopp's 50, a lot of the top managers in European football are in their 40s. Enrique's 47, Conti's 48. Um, who else is there? Jardim is 43. Mm. Arteta's 36, and, and he's now being talked about as the next bright young thing of management mm. as interesting well. Interesting that Vieira ruled himself out. Vieira's 48. It's inter it is interesting he's ruled himself out because I. I and the thing yeah. is about the football great as you more know more than anyone is that it's very very closed but there's sort of news filters around within it and he would have got wind of the fact that they already I'd be staggered if they don't already know their man listen Gazidi's brought in nine new department heads last summer including Sven Mislintat as the head of recruitment and Raul Sanile the I hope I got that pronunciation right uh, the head of international yeah. uh, he brought Enrique to Barcelona. He was instrumental That's why in signing Suarez. The obvious favourite. Enrique, absolutely. That personal connection. Weirdly, Enrique's um, record when he hasn't got Lionel Messi in the team, which he won't have at Arsenal, <laughs> is very average. He had a season at Roma where they finished mid table. Yep. He left. He had a season at Celta Vigo. Obviously, not, not a big club, but did nothing special there either. So, his track record when he hasn't got Lionel Messi. Yeah. And actually, but the inheritance isn't great, is it? He did, he did it? a very no? good job at Barcelona. He did. Well, I was going so, to say, that's how they would sell but, it. I mean, it was a good piece oh, by Johnny listen, Moore. They're, they're, not to, they're not going to have to sell it too hard. I mean, it's, you know, he's, he's a big name. And um, the, the interesting thing, I thought, we, we had a poll in our paper um, of Arsenal fans, and there were like 10 names. Um, and I think the highest one, I can't remember who actually was highest, but it was about 18%. There's no groundswell of opinion about any one candidate. There's no real popular choice. There's no one that's sweeping the board in, in, you in know, fans' I polls. Think that it's might well be because they simply wanted Wenger out. It wasn't... It, so that oh, they yeah, didn't really care yeah, who yeah, took over. They yeah. didn't have anyone in yeah. mind. There's no real... I, I personally would go for Ancelotti. I would go for the opposite of what they're likely to go for because I think that it's wrong now to try and do what in a way, what United did after Ferguson yes. was think, we're going to get the next guy in to build the next dynasty. It doesn't happen like that. It certainly won't happen like that after someone's been in charge for as long as Wenger. What they need is, I think, a, short, a good, solid, short-term appointment. To Two get seasons? Through what's, yeah, and Ancelotti would be perfect but, for that, but, I think. But, 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 he knows but the league, think... he'll do well, and he would be a calming influence on a club, which is it's, gonna, it's going to be, despite the fact so many people inside 
the club hierarchy and in the stands wanting him out, it's going to feel like a bereavement. It's going to feel very strange for Arsenal after 22 years of the same man who's almost built this club into mm. a new club. Um, the godfather of everything he surveyed would have gone. That I think that they they almost want they don't want to be looking for another long term vision because it's not going to happen. Yeah, but don't you think there's a big difference in so much as David Moyes went and he changed too much? Yeah, he, you, you guys like Mullenstein and Phelan and you know he, he, he just got them all out and didn't realise that these guys were all key figures behind mm. the scenes behind. And I think you know getting the people at Arsenal that they have done into the club to yeah. spend a year there. I mean, I listen. I think they will have got there. If it is going to be Enrique, they'd have told him six months ago. You know, mm. told probably a year ago when they signed Aubameyang. I think it's inconceivable that they wouldn't have sold it to him by saying, you know what, the manager may well be going in the summer. Mm. You know, mm. and, and we are going to get so. And it's okay, I'll come. You know, and I, I think that there will have been time for the new man. To yeah, I mean, see I, how I'm not making works. an exact parallel between United and Arsenal. By the way, they, they are doing things differently and better. And obviously, when Ferguson left, there was no structure in place. He was just one man who was a genius and he left and there was very little, you know, any sort of infrastructure in terms of the way the, the club was managed to, for Moyes to, to take over. And that's not going to be quite the case at Arsenal. They are they have been building a new structure around Wenger. Well, you know, yeah. it was... I mean, Gazidi was oh, talking about the catalyst for change and, 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 and the fact not that... Not really been know, that, has he? He's, he's oh, they but... finished outside <laughs> the top four and Gazidis has literally been rebuilding the club around him and he's been sort of standing in there in the middle of it saying, no, I'm, st I'm still in charge. Can, they, can they say goodbye to him by winning the Europa League? They can do, uh, but I'm worried about uh, Atletico Madrid because I think they're up against, again, another manager who knows how to <clears throat> inspire his players, who can get the best out of him, who side a better balance than Arsenal. Yes, Costa's not going to be fit for the first leg. He'll play in the second leg. And I think, you know, even if it is um, away from home, you know, he's gone to Arsenal and ripped them up before. And I think there's still Griezmann to worry about. There's still there's so many other players within that Atletico Madrid team that can hurt Arsenal. Yes, I mean, I was I, I watched a quarter-final game, I watched them in the round before that. They've looked decent going forward, but at the back, they're all over the place. And I, that, I think that's an Atletico, the first... Listen, when they drew Atletico Madrid, even the most staunch Arsenal fan will admit to having a sinking feeling because that's the team yeah. they did not want. Yeah. And if they are going to win this, in a way, this is their final in, in, in some yeah. respects. Um, but... So if they get past Atletico Madrid, then yeah, I think they'll win it. Although although Arsenal won four one against West Ham yesterday, um, I didn't get the impression that they there was some massive groundswell amongst the team. Oh. We've got to do this for Arsenal. They were poor until the last eight eight minutes when they scored mm. three goals. West Ham could easily have won yesterday. Um, I, I, the only way Arsenal are going to beat Atletico is with this almost a superhuman sort of feeling, like you know, of, of doing it for Arsenal. I didn't get the impression that yeah. that sort of feeling exists from the fans or the or the more importantly the players. Can I just make a point on on, on Everton? I know you could have mentioned Everton. Mashiri Everton is obsessed with celebrity. He's, he's just you know. He, I remember he gave an interview, a radio interview, when he said, "We this the the Northwest is Hollywood, and we need to get a Hollywood manager in." It would not surprise me at all if Mishiri were to go for Wenger because he could turn around and say to the fans who are unhappy with Sam Allardyce, and I think the way they've treated him with that ridiculous survey is reprehensible. Oh, crazy, isn't it? Um, but I, I think they will try to seduce them by saying, we're going to try and get Arsene Wenger in. And if Wenger does want to stay in the Premier League, I agree, that could well be the one place he'll end up. So, Dave, was Maurizio Pochettino signalling his availability? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he, he floated on a couple of occasions... The, the, the idea of him or another manager, he just floated it out there. Um, I think I, I've had a feeling, um, I mentioned it um, after they lost to Juventus, that he's not that young. He's been 10 years as a manager. He's never won a trophy. And at some point, he's going to want to win a trophy. I don't believe what he's always said about not caring about the FA Cup that much and it not really being that important. It is important. Uh, it is important that, that Tottenham haven't won a trophy for 10 years. It's important that Pochettino hasn't won a trophy, I think, nine years as a manager. And he's going to want to do that because he's a, he's a very, very good manager. He's done an outstanding job there. I do think, and I've said it before, and 
I, I do think there is a, a one weakness with Pochettino is that he doesn't work well with experienced players who have their own opinions. He doesn't deal with that situation well. We've seen that again with Alderweireld, and he may he may lose a couple of his most experienced players, Alderweireld, Dembele, Rose is slightly different. He's been injured, but he may well also leave for the same reasons. Walker it happened last year, so there is a there is a slight problem of man management with Pochettino that that, is, that could be his Achilles heel. Yeah. The tying this ties in with one of the, the the questions we got from the listeners and the viewers. Ian Hamilton asks uh, Darren: After four years of progress but no trophies, how long before the penny drops? Are we going too far with praise for Pochettino? I don't think we are because you have to remember the state that Spurs were in before he arrived. They were basically up against the glass, peering through at the big clubs, dining at the top table. Uh, they now, if they cement their place in the top four this season they'll have been in there for three consecutive seasons he's changed the mentality at the club he's changed the consistency at the club he's developed Harry Kane he's uh, turned Wembley into a fortress for them by and large um, when many people thought that it could be the reason for them not finishing in the top four again so, no, I don't think we're going overboard at all. You've got to look at the club's net spend in relation to the teams around them. You've got to look at the fact that Arsenal have spent substantially more. So too Chelsea. And they are not in the top four. I, I think that you have to praise him. Kiddo's absolutely right. The point of football is about winning things. But you can also recognise the progress that an individual has made at the club. I, I agree with you. It's not, I'm not making a, a particular criticism of Pochettino saying no. he should have won trophies. It's difficult to win trophies in England. There's, you know, there's five clubs with a substantially wealthier than, than, than Spurs. But what more what I'm saying is Pochettino may want to go elsewhere to win trophies yeah. if he doesn't yeah. feel he can win them autonomy. It's not a criticism of Pochettino as such. It's, it's more... Yeah. Yeah. By, the, yeah. by the by, Dave, you know, immediately after Wembley, Spurs were called chokers, they were called bottlers... Is that fair? Um, no, I mean, it's a bit harsh, but they're, they're ha you know, say those two games at Juventus and United at Wembley, the, the, the games that, that lost them the Champions League and the FA Cup, they were ahead in both of those games and ended up losing 2-1. There was, there was an element of that that they froze a little. And there is a feeling that quite often in one-off games, they don't, don't quite do it. I mean, it was, it was a, I thought winning at Chelsea... Um, was a really big, um, a really big deal for them, and that was that was one of those hurdles they really overcame. And I thought that might be when they won at Chelsea. I thought, wow, they they may go on and win the cup this year as well as finishing top four. And then that's good. That's that's a great season for me for Spurs. Mm. But that you know they, they didn't got follow to it through, that. and United had the mentality but, that Spurs didn't have. But, you, but when you, when, when the um, re listener is talking about the question, is the praise going overboard? That too is a key thing. Winning at Spurs for the first time in 20 years, Chelsea, ending yeah. the sorry, yeah. winning at Chelsea, uh, ending the hoodoo, the stranglehold that Arsenal had over them. Yeah. Yeah, this will be the first time oh, in successive seasons, I think since the 80s, that, that they'll have finished above Arsenal. You, I think you can't praise what he's done enough. The final thing would be winning trophies. I, I, I concede that absolutely. He's done a really good but job, I think but he, he may done. want to win trophies elsewhere. That's, that's my point. And I think yeah. they'll want to spend money and they'll want to get better, better players in or he'll want to be at a club where when you do have top players, you pay them what they're worth because that's mm. the big bugbear with Rose and with Alderweireld. Mm. We've touched on this slightly, but I, I do think it's a question just worth returning to. Vernon Grant asks, are the Arsenal fans who went on strike hypocrites or are they trendsetters? Should disgruntled supporters of other teams vote with their feet? I don't think they're hypocrites, as I was saying before. I, you know, initially I did, but I, I'll, I'll make the distinction. I think the ones that had been battering Wenger for a long time and then suddenly, since the announcement, have been on social media and, and elsewhere sort of saying, oh, no, don't criticise him, he's a great man. Yeah, I've got, I've got no time for that. But I think the ones who actually took the difficult decision to miss out on good games, the the, the City games, uh, people were basically, oh, they'll come back if they get into the quarterfinals of the champion of the Europa League. They didn't. They'll come back if they get into the semi-finals. I don't. Well, they may do now. But judging by yesterday and the fact that some still stayed away, they're still not, you know, won over just yet. I think, as I said before. For fans right now, they have so few ways to make their point. I think at Arsenal, at Ipswich, at Southampton, I think they're all the tip of the iceberg. Supporters are realising the only way to make your point is by not giving clubs your money. People say, 
say they pay their season ticket money, yeah, but they didn't go and spend money in the bars. They didn't, you know, the the, the pies, the this, that. Season they weren't. Tickets, I don't think were great either. Absolutely. I, I think that fans are realising that they have that financial power that can hurt clubs. And maybe those Arsenal fans might well be the start of, of something that, Sort of bigger that we'll see in football in the English it is, game. It is a strange old stadium and a str slightly strange problem. Not, it's not, a, you know, I can't generalise, but there, there's no other stadium in in the Premier League where you, we had the first ten minutes and the last ten minutes of each half, people wandering in and out, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds mm. of them walking past you, going off to get a pie or a or a, or a coke a or whatever. Yeah, or a tube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there is nowhere else like it. It's just genuinely true. Arsenal. There is a, quite a lot of Arsenal fans who, who who do treat it more like a you know um, a trip to the cinema or something. You get that announcement, don't you? The second half is about to start. Yeah. <laughs> and then about a quarter of an hour later, they will turn up. Yeah. Just a final point. Uh, PFA Awards last night. Um, Mo Salah over Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, do you agree with that? Absolutely. If you can't get the PFA, uh, the Player of the Year award for scoring 31 goals, 41 in total, when are you going to get it? As a winger as well. You know, when, when are you going to win it? Yes, De Bruyne has been fabulous, but I still maintain if you take De Bruyne out of that team, he probably still would win the league. Probably not by as far, but they would win the league. I think if Salah isn't in that Liverpool team, they're mid-table and they're nowhere near the Champions League semi-finals. I think that Salah is a, is a fabulous one. I can't argue with Salah. I voted for De Bruyne, but I cannot argue with Salah. It's so close. Um, I, I love watching De Bruyne. I almost felt like it had to be a City player because City has been so good this season. I know it's an individual award. I can see both sides of it. I was really torn, but I went for De Bruyne. Mm. Well, I voted for Salah in the FWA Awards. I've also got a hunch that Leroy Sane, the PFA's Young Player of the Year, will win the big one next year. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.